0: Welcome to the podcast that is guaranteed to improve not only your photography, but your mind, body, and spirit as well. We have a fantastic season prepared for you, full of interviews with the top image makers and videographers in the industry. Have you ever wondered where the term podcast comes from? It's an interesting story. You see, the word originates from the Greek word Potty Moose, which is a giant mythical moose-like creature with golden antlers. So that's just a little history lesson from me to you. Enjoy the Potty Moose. Welcome to the Pro-EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up.
1: In this episode, we are joined with Vincent Versace. That's true. What do you think of my intro music for Vincent, Rob? Hey, hey, I can't hear it. You couldn't
2: hear it? Do it again. Hit that button again. It's amazing. Gary. Mark, I Versace hope
0: Versace on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and as
1: always, Rob Grimm I'm always is here. in the house. I'm always here. Rob Graham, we got Vincent on the
2: big TV. He's on the big monitor. He's looking good. His studio's looking cool. Looks like he's ready to pull some Epson prints.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last three weeks, pulling Epson prints. So,
1: Vincent, for our audience who might not know who you are, give us us the elevator pitch on
0: Vincent Versace. Yeah, well, the elevator pitch with a little bit of sarsaparilla.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do you like sarsaparilla, by the way?
0: I, I'm a big fan of root beer. If I yeah. were to ever open up a restaurant, I would have a cream soda and root beer list.
2: There you go. Oh, That's cool. Right. I'm done with that. Yeah,
0: I, just, uh, I think root beer is, when done correctly, is spectacular. I agree with you. Elevator pitch. Okay. I am a Computer World Smithsonian Laureate for Innovation in Digital Imaging. I was Nikon's first uh, beta test site for their digital cameras, Epson's first beta test site for their printers i was employee number two of nick software employee number six of altamira group which created genuine fractals and i'm an alpha and beta site for pretty much everybody um in software at some time or another
1: what does that mean a a beta
0: site
1: when you were the first or second
0: um i was the i see technology anywhere from Two years before it hits market to six months before it hits market.
2: Sounds like every one of these companies is looking to you to be on the bleeding edge and uh, testing this stuff out. How did you get known for that?
0: Uh, well, that's a right place, right time. Uh, okay. When I wanted to do this, nobody wanted to do it. So I was right out of graduate school and it was one of those things, sure, I'll play with digital and I was absolutely convinced that digital was about to happen tomorrow and then it took 20 years to get to where it is to the point where my vision of it is now been surpassed of it
1: all right and today what what type of photography are you doing
0: Uh, right now I'm working on three book projects uh, that are photo books and then two textbooks and the book projects are to Called the Turning the Last Page Project, and I'm going to build a school in Burma, feed some hungry kids in India, and put cameras, hopefully, in the hands of photographers in Cuba.
1: Oh, tight! That's cool. So let's let's go back to early baby Vincent days. How did you how did you get into this industry?
0: Um, it's a two-part sort of thing. I have, I have a couple of uncles that are photographers, and my father took me to go see Marcel Marceau at Carnegie Hall and I'm gonna relate these in a second. So I went and saw Marcel Marceau and I was completely enamored by the magic of it. I saw the wall, I saw the rope, I saw everything and my father proceeded to lose me. Because what I had done was after the performance literally walked through the crowd, walked up on stage, went backstage and and decided I wanted to play with Bip the Clown. And so here I am this like, you know, five, six year old just blown away by it. We're doing tug of rope and stuff, and my father finds me, and my Italian father doesn't quite know what to do with his first male-born son. Does he smack him into the middle of next century for scaring the crap out of him? Yeah,
2: your father must have been terrified,
0: right? Or does he, you know, revel in the fact that what he wanted me to have happen, which is to see the, you know, magic of it all, worked. So put that aside for a second. I have another. I have two an- uncles that are photographers. One of them got roped into babysitting me and he was a wedding photographer. So what he did was he took me into the dark room because he had to make prints. And so you got a kid six, five, six, seven somewhere in there. and you have to babysit him, so let's show him the magic of the dark room. And I watched oh. that materialize into the soup. I got a whiff, a fixer, and I'm done. Just done. my entire career has been putting the two together the theatrical and the magic of that and the optical illusions and the magic of photography because i don't think you actually make photographs i think you make optical illusions and the most successful ones are the ones where you can't see that anything was done but you can't stop looking at it just like a coin trick
1: do you know coin tricks i do oh do you have a coin handy you're on TV. <laughs> <Let's> see one. <laughs> Get it. Uh, yeah. All right. Hold on. Hold
2: on. All right. This is, our,
1: this is our first ever coin this trick. This is our first on... magic
2: act on. Damn. 100. Just, just disappeared.
1: At, wow. Look at that. Holy Moses. All right. So you, you had influences getting into it. Did you go right into school for it?
0: Uh... I went, to school, I went to school for acting and filmmaking, and I grew up with uncles where I'd spent, my summer job was basically working in their darkroom. So real I- world,
2: Real world experience is the best.
0: Well, and so my, I grew up in this, so I've always been amazed, because um, I, I watch people have such difficulty with photography, and I, and I get that my perspective of it, is, of it is since the age of six, basically playing in a dark room so all I know is this one way to do it and it's not as difficult as we want to make it and it comes down to I think allowing yourself to be cool with what your voice is who you are everybody's got something to say so say it and express it and don't beat yourself up for not being as technically expert as you need to be or whatever it's like just if you properly expose the picture all knowledge will come to you when you need to know it, is my thought.
2: Honestly, I can tell by looking at your website that the print process is really important to you. You have you, you even have versions of an image that's both in color and black and white. So to me, that's saying that you, you still have a, a love and an allure for the, the printed product.
0: Well, the print's the most important thing. I, yeah. I think if you want to become the, the best photographer you can be, you have to print. Yeah. I mean period Uh, the greatest printers the greatest photographers in the world are always the greatest printers so said Ansel Adams Mm -hmm. but the greatest printers are not necessarily the greatest photographers if you don't know what the image looks like when it's printed big or you know just printed period it doesn't quite have the same magic as as a screen doesn't have the same magic as the final print and there's so many more variables in the print the paper the ink Right. The way in which you manipulate it. So I'm I'm all about the print.
2: How do you like the process now of working with big printers at Epson printers and and doing everything digitally versus being in the darkroom, which is completely <laughs> different. I mean it's it's night and day. The, the, the two processes could not be more different. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I love. Don't get me wrong. I just got done doing some uh, with Tillman Crane up in Maine uh, platinum prints, and that was a total blast. Yeah. Uh, But the ability to sit in my darkroom with my my studio, rather, with my bunny slippers on and manifest an image and control it in ways in which I simply could not control in the digital dark or in the analog darkroom like I can in the digital darkroom, I'm all for it. I'm a much better photographer because of what I can do in post-processing. Now, that said, I think my... Understanding of analog photography really, really, really informs what it is that I do as a digital photographer, and anybody that really wants to pursue this should spend a couple of years as a silver-based photographer to get the understanding of what the decisive moment actually means. And
2: I agree completely
0: because there's a sensibility, there's an aesthetic to it um, that is beautiful, and it's trying to keep that aesthetic while expanding the dynamic range to fourteen you know levels uh which we can't do That anchor into 14.2 stops versus seven and a half stops on the best day in silver that's almost twice the information which means that that's twice the amount of data that you can play with which means that's twice the amount of fun you can have with where you want to move the eye and the image
2: right
1: so on a day-to-day basis how much are you printing I see one two three four printers behind you how many printers are in that studio uh,
0: five? one two three four five six printers
1: so what's the difference between all of them why have six
0: um, I'm set up so that one of the big printers prints nothing but matte. one of the big printers prints nothing but glossy and then um, I have different printers the the 5,000 prints my photo black, the 4,900 prints my mat, and then I have an 800 and a 600, which I use for black and white, and for testing purposes, and as I'm writing and developing some curriculum stuff for the new book project that I'm working on, which is called 21st Century Composition Theory, or The World world According to Me. (laughs)
1: So printing technology has changed quite drastically in the last decade. How has, it, how has it changed for you? Like, What what new technological advances have happened for you that are, that are exciting? Because I know nothing about printing. Zero.
0: Um, the way in which we can do black and white and the way in which color has expanded is is really exciting to me. And the ability to print on pretty much everything, including buttercream frosting, is absolutely <laughs>
2: What's it's buttercream so, frosting? Is that a literally, paper? But No, it's buttercream frosting on a cake.
0: You can print on. on a cake.
2: Oh, print on a cake. All right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Think about that. You make a photographic print. There's there a way to do
1: it. Is that edible?
0: That, yeah. And it's How's a, that edible? They do it all
1: the time. What kind of ink is that?
0: Soy-based uh, inks. Soy-based soy ink. So think about that. You you couldn't go into a dark room and whip something up, and then you know. <laughs> piece of so fire. you're
1: telling me without poisoning. People. You're telling me that if let's say I had a picture of Rob on a bearskin rug,
2: I could print that. You could print that on, on a cake. A cake. Yeah. It'd have to. I would recommend a sheet cake, a vanilla sheet. cake. It would cake have to be a very large sheet cake. cake. Well, it's got to be landscape. So what
1: yeah, so what sort of printer do you need to be printing on cakes? What, uh, it, it's put this AM- in my Amazon wish list, Sean, right now.
0: It's it's the it's a modification done to um, an Epson printer, and it's it's using soy-based dye inks.
1: I can't even like so the cake is the cake moving or does the <laughs> printer move over the cake?
0: <laughs> It's a transfer. You print onto a piece of paper and then transfer it onto the buttercream.
2: Ah. <laughs> I love, the, and then I love the way your mind is trying to get around this. How do I get a cake inside you, of my printer?
1: Yeah, I was just thinking like, do you just like <laughs> run it through? You know like the, the hot ovens at uh, like Quiznos that yeah. you send the sandwich through? Do you send the cake through? Yeah, it's like that. It's like All right, so it's you, a conveyor
0: belt. <laughs> and you All right, just and you put you just, cakes in there. It's, and it's printed on special materials.
1: So, so how, do you have to like transfer it immediately or let's say, could you Print it and then send it to me through the mail. Then I put it on said cake. Would that work? Or is there a time? Uh, is there a time problem? I don't
0: have to answer for that. I've only had. Uh, I, I won an award in uh, January, uh, the Photo Mentor Award at the Palm Beach Photographic Center, and they made a sheet cake of one of my pictures, and I was absolutely blown away. Not only on the fact that it was on buttercream frosting, which is my favorite frosting, yes, but the color fidelity. <laughs> Or was, I'm saying, like, wow! I wonder how they built a profile for that. <laughs> I Good total range
2: in your buttercream frosting. Okay, yeah. so if
1: buttercream frosting is your favorite frosting, what is your favorite cake? Cake. Just what? I mean, what kind of cake? Like cake. Any cake.
2: He's not. Cake. So if you not had all right, if
1: you had vanilla cake, chocolate cake, and uh, birthday <laughs> cake in front of you with the with the confetti, which one are you eating? He's going all three. or chocolate. So, all right, you're a chocolate guy. Do you think no. Bo- Do you think Boston cream pie is a cake?
0: No.
2: Yeah, right. Thank you. Thank We've you. Had this debate around here. I know. I mean, it,
0: it, but I'm willing to argue. Okay, as Justice Scalia argued, that Chicago pizza is not pizza; it's tomato pie.
2: <laughs> it's tomato pie. <laughs> yeah, it's heavy. That's very heavy.
0: Pizza is defined according to uh, Justice Scalia as a thin crust tomato and cheese in the Neapolitan style. The Chicago style is Sicilian, and the Sicilian style is not a pizza, it's a tomato pie or focaccia.
2: Was this a case that actually went to the Supreme Court, or was the good justice just weighing in with his personal opinion?
0: Well, the good justice, and this is one of the, if not the only occasion upon which he and I both okay. agree, <laughs> um, was he was known for having an incredible sense of humor. And um, he, somebody got into an argument with him and he decided to write with his legal mind as if it was a, a response to a Supreme Court decision, the argument for and against tomato pie versus pizza. And it was on the Internet. And it is hysterical because it is written with the absolute hereto and heretofore, or therefore, whereas, <laughs> and you read this thing and you just start cracking up. Because it sounds really serious, but in to- and he's really serious about it, and I agree with him. But pizza is defined for me as thin crust, Neapolitan style.
1: Wait, So how thin though? Because St. Louis style, it's like it's like super thin and crunchy. Are you talking like a New York slice?
0: Uh, I would I would venture to guess, not having, having not read that in a while, that the thinness at the St. Louis style and the New York style would fall under uh the category of pizza but the difference would be style and nuance the the definition of pizza versus tomato pie is the overly breadiness of the crust
1: mm, too much bread because too much bread do you like a little flop to your to your slice or no flop Are you no flop guy
0: um, I've take two slices and fold them together.
1: Oh, you make uh, a little that's a call to Calzone, Vincent. That's not pizza. No, oh. no it's it's totally different. When you when you put two together, that's essentially a
2: calzone, Rob. No, it's not. It definitely that's, is. No, it's not. A calzone is made completely different differently. Oh, it's really? actually folded yeah. and then baked. It's not taking two <laughs> things, you're just smashing them <laughs> no. together.
0: Are you for you guys from Boston or New York originally? Somebody this is where this argument sounds like it's coming from. No, no. we're from St. Louis. St. St. Louis. St. Louis, Yeah, All
2: right. We're Midwesterners.
0: So the, the, in Boston, um, there's, a, they make, there's one place called Galleria Umberto on uh, Hanover Street across from the Cafe Vittoria. They make a Sicilian style pizza, which I don't generally like, but it's one of my five favorite pizzas in the world. And okay. all they do is make cheese pizza. Now, St. Louis style pizza I like because it's crispy, a crispy crust, um, which is very similar to buffalo pizza which what? is also a th- crispy crust.
1: Like the, the area buffalo? Are we talking yeah, about buffalo area. mozzarella?
0: No, bu- uh, bu- The area of buffalo.
1: The area of buffalo, the city. Do they put buffalo mozzarella on
0: there? Uh, I've had it with buffalo mozzarella.
1: I'd say that would be a wasted opportunity if <laughs> buffalo didn't put buffalo mozzarella. It seems like the easy hit. And There's even some the, bison. It's the obvious choice. Do you think there exists a place, Rob, where in Buffalo, you can go in and get a slice with buffalo mozzarella with bison as the meat topping?
2: And buffalo wing sauce?
1: And buffalo. Look at that. It's
2: all the buffalo. There's
1: four buffaloes. That's a herd. <laughs> and they should call that pizza the herd.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Instead of Java the Hut, I'm pizza the herd. <laughs> Sounds like you eat pizza in
2: every city you go to.
0: Um, I've been known to collect pizzerias and barbecues.
2: All right. So where's your favorite pizzeria?
0: My favorite pizzeria, believe it or not, is a mile and a quarter from my studio.
2: Is it favorite because it's based on convenience?
0: No. Um, I will fly pretty much anywhere for food. Uh, (laughs) That's a
2: statement right there.
0: I'm a better cook than a photographer. So for me, cooking is a, a... my passion, my hobby.
1: Yeah. What country I, do you think makes the worst pizza?
0: What the worst pizza I've ever had? Um, let's see. Any way I go, I'm going to get into trouble.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so You're well, going to get hate mail for this. You know that.
0: The, well, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so I fly into Myanmar. Uh, Burma and I can't wait to go to Burma because there's this one restaurant that makes this cold noodle dish that is to die for and so my fixer picks me up and they're all excited because they've just opened up a New York deli and pizzeria Mm. and I just flew in from New York so they take me in and they order a pizza and a pastrami sandwich that was the most unique pizza I've ever had (laughs)
1: pizza and a pastrami sandwich. I'm not a pastrami in guy. In Burma.
0: In Burma.
2: In Burma. Oh, pastrami's great, but not in Burma. I don't, it don't know, just know if it is. Like a... Pastrami's the awesome. jury's still out on pastrami for no, me. No, it's not. It's good. I do don't either you know. like it or you don't. So. you going
0: to be in Photo Plus East?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we go to Photo Plus.
0: Alright, let's get together. I will take you to the best pastrami you've ever had in your life.
1: Oh, I'm so down for that. That will probably also be like the second pastrami <laughs> oh, I've ever had God. in my
0: life. You it's need culture. need Jersey.
1: So Vincent, where did you originally grow up? Where where do you call home?
0: Uh, San Francisco, San Francisco's home for me.
1: And that's where you're at now? No, where I'm in LA. LA. You're in LA. When did you move to LA? What brought you there?
0: Uh, I got a full ride scholarship to the University of Southern California Film School. And so when somebody wants to pay for you to go to school in the master's program, you go, okay. And so I have, uh, I went to Boston University School of Fine Art in the American Conservatory Theater, and the problem there was nobody taught me how to get a job, they just taught me how to do Shakespeare on Broadway, yep. which not a lot of parts for that. So I figured if I learned how to make stuff, make a movie and all of that and get involved in the film business, I'd have a better understanding of how to get a job. And so what wound up happening for me was I combined the theater stuff with the photography stuff with the film stuff and created a cinematic style for taking pictures, which has led me to whatever crazy juggernaut I'm on now.
1: Do you have any regrets with what you studied? If you could go back and do it again, would you do something like business or something, a a completely different art?
0: I have – I do have – One regret, which was I had this one teacher, a gentleman named Tad Danielewski, and there were a couple of times I skipped his class because in the course of going through the training, I got so pissed off at the experience that I just said, screw it, and I'm not going to class today. And I regret missing those days with that man because of my own hubris and my own, you know, issues with it. That's the regret. Um, Do I wish I would have studied something else? Yeah, I wish I would have uh, taken a minor in marketing. I think that that's important. It's all well and good to understand the theory of art and all of the stuff that uh, I was privileged to learn and blessed to learn. And the teachers that I got to study with um, have shaped the way in which I see the world. But I think I'd be much better off if I was better at marketing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Vincent, you're leaning a little to the left. Looks like you're getting ready to kiss Rob on the on the camera.
2: Well, why wouldn't he want to?
1: I kind of liked it. Yeah. I just got a note from our producer that says, uh, "Sit up straight, Vincent." He's listening. He's the lying. leaning tower of Pisa. All right. So, what marketing for you? What does your marketing plan look like today? As like an OG photographer from back in the day that's seen a lot of different iterations of the industry. How, what is your marketing plan?
0: Well, the 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 marketing shift from back in the day to now was when I started, it was all word of mouth. That was the best way to build your reputation. And so in Hollywood, uh, when I was doing hardcore celebrity and actor stuff. I
1: thought you were going to say something else after hardcore. I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
0: Well, that's the next. That's that's the after dark segment. All right. right.
1: We'll get there.
0: Yeah. But I used to work. You know, if there were eight days in a week, I could work 12 days in Hollywood. And it was all word of mouth. And I always thought that that was the best way to go. But where we're at now is it's about Instagram and touches and getting out there and telling stories. And so it's changed. And you have to be receptive to changing with the way people want to receive um, their knowledge of you or their content. And the only issue I have with all of it is that I have no problem putting out any technique that I do and sharing it. It's just that people think that they read half of it and then they are adept enough to go out and practice it. And if I had any comment with regard to that is you have to practice to become perfect. And you have to practice at practicing, so do it more. But for the marketing stuff, yeah, it's it's a little nuts. Spending an hour and a half every day, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know.
1: Does it drive you crazy a little bit?
0: It's a little bit more engaged in stuff that keeps me away from creating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a? A team of people that that help you print or assistance What is it like? What does the Vincent Versace support team look like?
0: Uh, well, it's in Hollywood. Everything's scalable. So, like, it, when I'm on a job, then you know we have a big crew. When I'm by myself, then it's by myself. Um, I have an intermittent assistant that, depending on what it is that I need, will come and work. With regard to printing, I prefer to print myself. I print all my own work, um, and the reason for that is uh, having. Been involved with printing since its inception digitally. I I have a look that I want, and uh, there are things that I go looking for that it's just easier for me to go see it than having to explain what I'm looking for.
2: How much conversation do you get to have with the folks at Epson? You know, when when you are an ambassador or kind of a beta tester, and you're on this bleeding edge. How much leeway uh, in conversation do you have to give give feedback and get information from them about what's coming out, how to use their products, and really how to, how to be a, a, a kind of a, a leader in it?
0: Well, I'll tell you, one of the things about Epson I like quite a bit is that they are, and the same thing is true for Nikon, is they're very, very much keen, they're very keen on interacting with photographers, mm-hmm. that they want to make a photographic device that uh, there's a reverence from the Japanese dealing with artists that they're making instruments of art. So uh, quite a bit of input uh, whenever I'm on a project uh, with a, a Epson print layout. I was involved with that for three, almost four years before it was finally released. Wow. So I, they're very much into having the opinion of industry experts.
2: How much of your time does it actually consume when you say you're working with Epson for three or four years and you're also running your studio and, and working for clients, how much time are you able to actually give a company like Epson? How do, what do they demand of you too?
0: Well, it's what happens like for something like EPL, um, it gets into the system. Uh, I start with, I have one computer that's dedicated for just beta testing mm-hmm. so that if it blows up. It doesn't blow up the other nine computers in my studio. and. Once it's stable, then it gets put into the entire system. And then it's used, and then I try to break it. One of the cool things about uh, testing is you, know, you get to break toys. I'm the Gomez Adams of software. <laughs>
2: yeah. Who's that Gomez? you need to put on your website? Who's Gomez Adams? Uh, the Adams oh, family.
1: Oh, from I the mean, Adams family? Yeah. Was he the ball guy? Which no. one was Gomez?
0: <laughs> Gomez was husband. And he was the guy with the trains that you would... Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. With the dark hair and, like, did he have a little yeah, yeah. mustache?
0: John Anston.
1: I remember so watching The Addams Family a little bit growing up, but oh. I fell off. Well, it was but there a, was the before, movie. Your a yeah. before your time. before your time. I don't a think youngster. I had... Yeah, I don't think I had... When was that? When did The Addams Family... What decade? It was, <laughs> that was le- the early 70s. Early sef- okay, 70s. Okay, so I was watching reruns.
2: Maybe. Well, of course you were watching reruns. Weren't we all?
1: I don't yeah. know. I don't know these things.
0: My brother had the best job. He used to work at um, Lionel Trains as the quality control engineer, and his job was to make sure that everything worked with everything else. That's pretty cool. So he had a room of everything that Lionel had ever made connected to itself, and he was Gomez Adams. His entire job was to break trains.
2: Did he get to keep that stuff? Because it's going to be worth a fortune today if he kept it.
0: Um, Well, he's no longer with us. uh,
2: That's too bad. Sorry.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm, but that aside, I do have one train that he gave me because I collect matchbox toy cars and I have one car where it has a matchbox on it. And the train car that I got from the sixties, but yeah, he's, he had a bunch of cars that he had collected over the years.
2: That's cool. All
1: right. So what's, what's your ink bill? on a weekly basis <laughs>
2: he works with Epson they should ship it to him All right, what would your
1: ink bill be if you were working out cash for this
0: well the the whole thing about this is that to come up with the, one of the things I like about Epson is that the goal with testing and the way in which they work is to come up with efficiencies and ways in which to make it so that you actually look forward to printing and are not ticked off about printing So how do we make it better, faster, and quicker? So how do we make it so that you get it within one print or two prints, and instead of having to run a lot of paper to make things correct? Which is why Epson Print Layout came out, which is why they spent so much time making sure that the colors are accurate and are keen on making sure that the printers do the best that they can do.
2: I'm curious from your perspective, because there are so many photographers now that have never spent a single day in a dark room. They've never watched a, a print come up in the developer. Um, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of photographers that never have even printed their stuff. They only see it on a luminous screen. How how would you suggest they even begin to get an understanding of what a reflective print really needs to be in getting into the process? You gotta get high screen. off Fixer first, right?
1: Which you told me uh, you'd get me high off Fixer and I still haven't, I haven't even smelled the stuff.
2: Oh, well, oh, that's too bad. A lot of them put, like vanilla in it so it doesn't smell so bad like uh speak was it speed graphics what was the company that used to put not speed graphics.
0: Clayton,
2: clayton. they used to put vanilla in their stuff yeah, so
0: clayton, it's clayton right. chemistry used to put vanilla in the their chemistry so that it your your studios your darkroom smelled like vanilla
1: bring a little fixer to new york and we'll get high off fixer before we go get pastrami
0: <laughs> Deal. Who, who Deal. Dry, oh, get a razor blade we'll just <laughs> snort the stuff <laughs> Sit on street corners drinking hypothyroid sulfate. Yeah. Wait, is
1: fixer a powder or a liquid?
0: Yes. Yes.
2: It's both? Yes. Is, is it, it a, powder a powder first? Powder and and then, then you,
1: all right. I yeah. I hijacked Rob's question.
2: You oh completely. Yeah. But this that's part for the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want you want that question again? Shoot. <laughs> uh, I'm just curious if you if um you can make recommendations for people who have n- never pulled a print. Um to get into it and really find a love for it and understand how to make a really good print.
0: I'm sure that there are uh, community college classes that will teach that. If not, you have to bite the bullet buy a printer like the P600, which is 13 by 19, and make a print. Or go to a trade show and have any of the printer companies make you a print. But you have to see your work as a print. If you're looking at it on a transmissive device, a monitor, you're never going to see the beauty of a reflective image, particularly if you're into black and white. I mean, black and white just does not look as good on a monitor as it does in a print, Mm -hmm. period. Uh, In my humble considered opinion, I'm sure you'll hear lots of complaints about that and I don't know what I'm talking about, but um, in my experience of it, being able to pick the right paper the for the right reflectance or the right amount of tooth how the paper wicks the ink which causes a different effect in the look of the image Uh, all of that comes into play and that is the final representation of your work and the most important thing of it is that's what will outlast you if you're so compelled that you need to capture moments because the world moves you, and that's the way you choose to express yourself. Leaving it as a JPEG to look on a monitor on Facebook that gets put into a legacy website when you die is not the best way to show how the world moved you. A print, that is the best way. I have prints that are, you know over hundred years archival. So, I just think that that's the way to go. I think that it makes me a better photographer because I can see what actually is happening, what actually matters.
1: I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because I I don't have the printing experience, but from my perspective, why wouldn't I just outsource this to a company? Like, don't they have it figured out? Can I just you know, get it in have the mail and out, not have to do all these upfront costs? So is on it on. the romanticism of it?
0: No, you can, if, you, if at your level and you wanna see a print, send it out to a print. Lab, okay. And there, there are plenty of them, and um, and do that. Me, on the other hand, a big part of the way in which I express myself as a visual artist is in the way in which I work a print. So it's it's like this: people go to Lightroom because they want something quick and easy. And what Lightroom does is it takes a clueless beginner photographer and makes him good. It takes a good photographer and makes him good it takes a better photographer and makes him good and then there's a point where i see a pattern
1: i see a pattern here
0: okay can't manifest what the vision is which means that you move to photoshop which allows you to have infinite possibility because it's not that the sky is the limit it's that imagination your imagination should be the limit so you go to a more powerful tool so you don't necessarily understand how to print okay going to a lab that can print make you a picture where you go wow that's cool but there will come a point in time if you go down that path where you want a little bit more aesthetic control to be able to get your voice heard even more technique just means that you don't have to shout to have your voice heard and so the better technique that you have the greater understanding you have of the middle the more informed every decision you make at point of capture can be because every decision about an image has to happen at the moment you fire the shutter and then everything else.
1: Talk, more about, talk more about technique, because I truly don't understand the technique um, of printing and, and having a different technique. So what are some, if I were to have one photo and I wanted to have, you know, different variations, would you, is it just like the paper choice? Is it how you're editing it in Photoshop? or these settings for the printer? Like, what are these techniques that you're
0: talking about? All right, well, the thing you have to keep in mind with a printer, the physical device, is it's a default device, which means that it's only as good as what you send it. Okay, it only, it only prints the file that it is sent. So a vast majority of printing per se is the dark room technique, the, the hand dance underneath the enlarger, how you dodged and burned, how you bring color out, how you play with contrast. So it's developing your sense of the aesthetic so that what you can do is manifest a file that when you print it, you can get the maximum amount of color, the maximum amount of density of black for the paper that you've chosen um, to print on. Paper choice, there's matte and glossy. Depending on what you want the picture to convey, determines what paper you would choose. It's again an aesthetic choice. So you manipulate the image in such a way in post-processing so that when you send it to the printer, It gives you a maximum quality print based on the choices you made on media. So what is technique? It's understanding how it all works. You know, why do you want nano-coated lenses on a sensor above 24 megapixels? There's a reason for that. Why do you want more than 24 megapixels? What um, do you do with regard to capturing a black and white to produce an image that is the best that it can be? what decisions do you make with regard to time of day? Having an understanding of how um, you want to expose for uh, shadow and for sky to be able to combine those two images in a way that doesn't look like a Harry Potter set, but at the same time has the full dynamic range that can be caught in the scene. So it's just understanding how it all works in the middle. You basically travel a circle and straight line. the best way to
2: look at it. I think a huge part of uh, the printing process is that it is a, a major part of the creative equation. There are a lot of choices that you get to make and I know you've heard me talk about this before that I'm grateful for you know the fact that I grew up on film and in the darkroom because you can take a you can take a roll of film and you can use different types of developer and get a different looking negative which is then going to yield a different looking print based on what type of paper you use, what type of developer you use, if you run it through a toner, what have you. And, and having that set of knowledge gives you the opportunity to make creative decisions on what that final output is going to be. So it's you being more creative to come up with an image that is uniquely yours versus just it's up on a screen, it's luminous, everybody at Facebook is clicking like. It's a very, very different process. Can
1: you also get high off developer?
2: <laughs> you mean paint? There's a theme here for, for Gary. <laughs> I just, I'm
1: just exploring my options here, boys. Come on.
2: <laughs> I, I live in California. Okay, it's legal.
1: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Vincent. All right, no, so... goes legal here. <laughs> okay, so how much knowledge or what sort of resources would you recommend if, if, let's say, there's a portrait photographer out there that's wanting to get into printing, but they're probably intimidated like most people would be. They don't want to waste money. They don't want to waste time. Like what modern day books are going to be a a book or a tutorial? Like where do you even start? Because, you know, you buy an Epson printer. That's not coming with a tutorial.
0: Well, no, that's not true. Um, Oh, it is. There's something called uh, Epson Print Academy Online Print Academy. And what Epson's trying to do is they are asking experts to come in and talk about their stuff and to build a library, as it were, on. The art of printing. Go to uh BH. I did a little mini print tutorial for them on just here's what you should know about just getting ready to print, understanding what artifacting does. Is is approach it the same way you approach going to college. Pick the subject that you like and then start learning it. There's uh, lots of stuff online about printing. Lots of bullshit. Excuse me lots of
1: uh that's what i was getting at there's got to be a lot of wrong information out there so how do you navigate to trust one source of because we've never done something on printing because i would recommend that but i don't see a lot of uh, tutorials on there anywhere and by there i mean the internet rob about you good looked? printing that's all i do all day long is look for, print, I've, for I've,
2: printing I've, specific tutorials anything
1: related to photography i am a i'm the captain of perusal Mm. I think you should make perusal. me a jacket. I'm captain the perusal captain. Perusal. All right. No one peruses like me, Rob. Uh, do, well, <laughs> this is true.
0: So Reddington is the concierge of crime, and you are the captain of perusal.
1: You know, let's go with the alliteration. I'm the prince of per- perusal. Mm-hmm. The
0: prince of perusal. The prince of photographic perusal.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Pooh. The pooh Yes, the pooh The,
0: the pooh of perusal. <laughs>
1: Alright, so Epson has a good academy.
0: You're a power peruser or
1: sure, yeah. Let as many wow. Ps as we can get in there. All right. So Epson's got Epson and it's free to, to to you know, watch yeah. this on Epson's website.
0: Epson Print Academy and um, the thing to do with that is look at it, listen to it, and you know, don't make things dogma in the sense of you must always do it this way. Listen to it and listen to the logic behind it um there are lots of different ways to get to the same place and look at what works for you and what doesn't work for you like for me if i had to impart one thing that i think should be the guiding decisions upon how your hand moves in a piece of any image any file is that all artifacting is cumulative and may be multiplicative so what you want to do is develop a workflow that negates multiplication artifacting and minimizes accumulation artifacting Why does that matter? On a small print, not so much. On a big print, quite a bit, because as you blow the picture up, so do you blow up every little problem in that picture. Small picture, uh, most of that stuff goes away through something called dot game, which is the expansion of the dots into each other. So if there's artifact, the dot game can cover that up. But when you have a big field of paper, 44-inch canvas that you're printing on, all of a sudden, everything in between those spots shows up. So it's understanding that. It's understanding how it all works.
1: So you got a strong dot game is what you're
0: saying. I got a strong, strong dot game. Game. By dot game.
1: Yeah, dot game. <laughs> it could be a dot game. The dot game game. Say that five well, times fast, Rob. I, I saw I'm this. not
2: even going try it.
0: <laughs> I, I saw this one on, uh, on Instagram, and I think that this should be a game that we play called Shatner. And what happens is that when you yell Shatner, or you hear somebody yell Shatner at you, you overreact, as if you're in a collision <laughs> spaceship. It just struck me as that would be a hoot. <laughs> He's uh,
2: he's pushing CPAP cleaner machines now, so I hear those ads all the time. What's a CPAP cleaner? CPAP it's that that face mask that that some people have to wear at night oh, at so that they don't they don't choke themselves to death. They don't want to, you don't want to suffocate while you're sleeping. That's a horrible thing. No you don't. So you put that mask on and with, it pre- I, pressurizes your face and you're good. I agree with
1: you 100%. Yeah. So and then,
0: what, and then to add on to this, again I saw an ad for a CPAP cover, mask cover, that's the alien face hugger. Oh god. <laughs>
2: Just to make your wife really hate you. <laughs> So when is your next book, The World According to You? Or what was it? The
0: world? century composition theory. We're, uh, <laughs> I just what I thought would be good to look at is that things have changed the way in which we consider stuff um, because of the way digital works and the way zooms work and the way photography works in general. A lot of what we're taught is based off of 17th century painting theory. Yeah, uh, uh, And that's not applicable to 21st century digital capture and digital output. That there are many other things that you need to understand. You didn't need to understand why nanocoding mattered on a lens um, that exceeded 24 megapixels based on the physics of the glass and the way in which light refracts off. Or actually what bokeh means and why that matters.
1: It's bokeh. Uh, bokeh. Bokeh or bokeh?
2: It depends on how you want to say it.
1: What's the right way, Vincent? He's just no, saying it as bokeh. 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 I'm okay with bouquet.
0: that. You swallow, the, you swallow the last part, bokeh.
1: Bokeh.
0: Okay, it means the quality of blur. Um, it originally, back in the day, meant that you were a little fuzzy in the head. And then it became a description of the quality of a lens's blur, which is a far more important consideration than a lens's uh, ability to to focus.
1: Well, you you heard it here, folks. First, you've been saying that. it wrong. You've been saying it wrong the whole time.
0: If it works for you, you know, if, if you understand what the concept is, right? Yeah,
2: but I agree with that statement he made, which is really important. That what's really important about a lens is its ability to blur. As a guy who right. shoots very shallow depth of field, that's something very important.
0: Well, all lenses focus, that's their job. Right. Right. That's what we do. But it's how a lens handles from in focus to blur that is a more important consideration, I think. So, I mean, for example, all right, we're taught to pay attention to in focus over in blur. Focus, focus, focus. Okay, great. You stop a lens down, you get more stuff in focus. That's not true. What you do is you get an area of greater acceptable out of focus. The issue at hand is physics is pretty clear on this. The only thing that's in focus is that which the lens is physically focused upon and anything that crosses the plane of focus. The reason why we have this belief that if you stop a lens down you get more stuff in focus goes back to something, uh, goes back to film, the delta E of film, the degree of error of film. That lenses, film and photographic paper had three different resolutions. But the maximum resolution of paper with 75 line pairs. The maximum resolution of a standard lens is 200 line pair. Film is 150 so, to 175. So the lens is greater resolution than the film. The film is greater re- resolution than the paper. So what happens there is anything above 75 line pair, when you print it on silver paper, prints as 75 line pair. So if I stop the lens down, I have more things at 75 line pair. With digital, if we're at 24 megapixels, standard non nano coated lens, 200 line pair. A sensor, 200 line pair. An inkjet printer prints at a 3.5 picoliter droplet size, which is a picoliter is a trillionth of a liter. So pretty much anything you send it, it can print, which means that you will see 200, 150, 175. So if you want four things in focus, you need to have four photographs of those things. So what occurs is the picture is more about in blur in digital than it is in focus. So what should you be paying attention to? In focus or in blur? In blur. 99, yeah, ninety nine percent of your picture is out of focus. This or is something, daddy likes.
2: This is something I want people to, to rewind and play again. Because they're probably going to need to listen to it three or four times to get it. But what he just said there is phenomenally important. I have no idea what he just that's said, but gonna, it sounded great. That's why you're going to. And I feel smarter for it. it. That's why you need lot, to rewind something it.
1: Something about a lot of lines. What are these lines you speak of, Vincent? Break the lines down. Like, are these real uh, lines or these?
0: No, uh, lenses, uh, lenses and stuff like like lenses and stuff and paper are measured in things called line pair, which are x number of black and white lines per centimeter. Okay, so 200 line pair means 200 black and white lines per centimeter is what a standard lens can resolve. So, and this was developed by the Air Force, and you can uh, type in line pair in Google since you're uh, Professor Perusal.
2: Professor pre- Perusal, now that's another. Actually, good one. I, I like that one the most. That's better than Prince Perusal. Professor Perusal. It was Poobah Perusal.
0: You're the Prof. Professor Poobah is good. The Poobah of peeping. The. P-
2: that, that, sounds, that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, peeping?
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I don't love it, but I'll take it. Can <laughs> <laughs> <All
1: right. laughs> Your mind is blown about the bouquet? Just the anun- the enunciation?
2: All right. Our oh, producer, we, says, is it, he looked it up, and he confirms the li- that it's, it's called the line bouquet. Because the lion pair is pretty fascinating stuff.
1: He's given us the – he's he's blown away right now.
2: Is he our producer or director of both? I think he's both well, He's today. producing it.
0: The best way to remember it is bokeh is a quality of blur. Boca is a city in
2: Florida. <laughs> uh, I like that. that was I like funny. that too.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now let's get, in, let's get into the gear and the megapixel war. So Nikon finally got to the table with their mirrorless system. And, all the, and now they have all the megapixels. How important is that? You're on the hot seat you're on the hot seat well,
0: okay you have to look at what matters with regard to why mirrorless has become relevant the argument about it weighing more or less i don't think is necessarily significant it's like if you want a lighter camera buy a lighter camera if you want a heavier camera buy a heavier camera one of the things to keep in mind with regard to cameras are these are the meat hooks that have to interdu- interface with the device, so if you make it too small, you can't handle it. That said, the thing that is for me compelling about mirrorless, and I was not a mirrorless guy, because I like to look through the lens and see the pretty of the glass going through the whole system. What got me has to do with the flange size and the closeness of the l- rear element to the sensor. By having the rear element almost touching the sensor, what you are capable of doing is having edge-to-edge sharpness, the same way an APS-C sensor has greater edge-to-edge sharpness than a full-frame lens because of the thickness and thinness of the lens at the end of the the lens itself. Um, Because of that and the size of the flange, we're able to go down to 0.95. F.95 apertures, which means incredible blur. So you get that. All the lenses that Nikon are making are nano coated lenses. Now, Nikon makes its own glass, grinds its own glass, and coats its own glass, and it invented nano coating. It's what it's used for making uh, IC chips. Uh, Nikon is the leader in making laser lithography chips, which are the computer chips, the machines that etch the silicon wafers to create computer chips. That technology was applied to all of the glass that's gonna be on the Z series lenses. The sensor's color is unbelievable. The EVF, the electronic viewfinder, is all fluorite glass that's nano-coated, and Nikon does something that the other people that use the same OLED for the EVF don't do, is you get 100% resolution at both playback and view as you're shooting. So looking through the finest glass that Nikon's made, In their eyepiece at 100% resolution of the OLED all of a sudden makes the picture very interesting to look at. Um, I like the look of Nikon glass and I like the color accuracy and fidelity of Nikon glass. Um, I just like the way in which everything is color neutral it's not overly saturated one way or the other. The goal in the development of a Nikon system is to keep the color close to real as possible and then allow you to manipulate it that's its advantage and the fact that it's a lens company that makes cameras
1: when did you first get your hands on the uh the new night is the z7 is that the name of it
0: the z7 i had um at launch a little bit before launch
1: did they give it to really anyone before or did you guys all get it at the same time all the ambassadors
0: Uh, well there are there were uh, a series of people that were testing it um nikon prefers to remain anonymous as to who gets what when it gets what. gotcha uh but um there were people that were involved in the testing of it there was a lot of input and discussion of it it's not that nikon is new to mirrorless per se they've had a mirrorless camera for a long time the v system and j system were the test beds basically for the z system to see what would work what didn't work what did they want to do the ftz adapter came out of the uh, v series having an adapter that could take any mainline lens and adapt it to their mirrorless camera
2: so you're okay with electronic viewfinder because I, I think it's a struggle. I, I have mirrorless, but working with it all day, my eye starts to fry.
0: Which camera do you have? A Sony. Okay. Do yourself a favor. Go into a camera store yeah. and take a look through the Nikon EVF. And what the problem is, is that because when you're focusing, and this is to preserve battery life, um, you're not getting full resolution, and the optics in front of the eyepiece are not as robust as they could be. One of the discussions that was done during the design of this was how do we make it be as close to, or how does Nikon make it be as close to the experience of looking through actual glass through a pentaprism, the advantage of that. Awesome. The thing there was, they took their most expensive glass, fluoride glass, and then put the most expensive coating, which is nano coating. And nano coating replicates the way a moth's eye works. So the refraction and reflect refraction and reflection of light is not deflected off the lens; it's put through the lens. So it's like not having glass at all, and looking at it. So what you get is the maximum visual quality that you can get because i was with you when i looked at everybody else's um mirrorless camera it was the one thing that kept me wanting not to do it was i just didn't want to look at an evf
2: yeah it's hard it's it's fatiguing
0: i um i have no problem with it i'm in the field all the time i, was, I just shot 32,000 captures in cuba in an eight day period of time
2: all right so you could go day after day after day and it didn't wear your eye out
0: Nope, and wow. I also, I shoot a lot of infrared. And one of the huge advantages of mirrorless is I see what I get.
2: Wait, there's an infrared setting on that?
0: No, you have to modify the camera for infrared. Okay. Um, you, you, avoid, you completely void the warranty. Yeah. So, I mean, this is not something Nikon recommends at all.
2: I saw your infrared stuff and I thought it was really interesting because most people only use infrared for landscape, and you were doing a lot of interesting portrait work with infrared, which I, I am not seeing anybody else do. And it really, infrared's kind of gotten lost these days. It's so fallen by the wayside.
0: Well, there, there's the people that do it are rabid.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. There's a small, rabid group of people. Actually, the action that I'm working on right now is uh, an infrared action. And what I'm doing with the actions with the book is that all the actions will have descriptions in them. Because one of the things that I've learned is that's all well and good, you take a class with me and you read my book and you're all excited, and that's great, and then three weeks later you come back down to work on it and you've completely forgot everything that you thought was important. So I'm in the process of, at this step, do these things and then have another one that's just the action. But um, I'm working on the action for IR, which is this is the way that I build those images. I think the more important thing to keep in mind here is that regardless if it's color or infrared, more so with uh, anything that's black and white and infrared you're creating optical illusions the beauty of infrared for me is it's near infrared it's a spectrum just outside of human perception mm-hmm. and when you photograph people in infrared they're they just are different
2: yeah the skin tones uh, that, that's what I was really noticing that the, sh- the shift in skin tones it's not real but it's not fake at the same time there's something about it that was that's pretty alluring in many ways just that subtle shift uh, particularly in, dark, in the darker skin tones they were just having a uh, a, a lightning and, and kind of glowing effect that was really nice
0: yeah I, I just I mean I, I never thought when I first got the camera I took a D50 and I modified it to infrared and then spent 500 bucks to do it or yeah I think it's 500 bucks to do it and then i went to vermont for fall color and it snowed <laughs> that's funny <laughs> and i took pictures with it and i went i just destroyed a camera voided the warranty and spent five hundred dollars for the privilege and so i threw the camera in my camera bag and then uh several expletives that were freaking <laughs> yeah. were set um and I completely forgot that the camera was in my bags. Then I went to Burma for the first time, and I'm going through getting all my gear ready, and I look, and I pull this on. And go, oh, my God, it's my IR camera. Oh, huh. well, Burma's green, and it's hot. Mm-hmm. So I went out to the hotel window, took a picture, looked at the back of the camera, and went, holy expletive, Batman. You can and guess on this show. I can? Holy oh, yeah. shit. And so... Um, I just started shooting, and I had to be reminded to shoot color because I was so enamored. This was in 2003, four somewhere there. And um, I've never looked back. And then I started shooting people and stuff. I just treated it like it was a regular camera. And I think that one of the things that I watch people do is they find grooves that they do, and they come up with rules, like, oh, no, no. Infrared's not for people. It's just for landscape. Who says? What happens if you take this thing that was supposed to be for one thing and do it with something else? And it becomes fun and cool and it looks different. And really, it's all about the experimentation. I always want to experiment. I always want to see the world new. I don't want to be an old man. I want to be a little kid.
2: Right on. What's your
1: biggest regret in life, Vincent? What would you do differently?
0: Floss more? Uh. <laughs>
1: that's valid. That's valid. I sometimes catch myself slipping, and I go back to flossing, and it's bleeding. Mm, <laughs> you got to stay on top of that sort oh, of yeah, thing, Rob. Do. Dental hygiene? Listen, oral Ooh.
2: hygiene is incredibly important. Don't underestimate the power of oral hygiene. You, do you I've use one of those uh, pick, water picks? A water pick, I don't. I just use Every time
1: I floss. go to the dentist, they're like, you hey, need to get a water you, pick.
0: You, you want to you make your dentist happy? Get the triple bristle brush.
1: Triple bristle brush?
0: it's so an fun ultra to say. brush and it's got two brushes on the side and one on the top and if you brush your teeth with that you've got perfect gum health and life is good. But um, yeah if i if i had the one regret it would be that. No no i mean the one artistic regret anything. Uh, the 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 biggest regrets are the pictures that i for whatever stupid ass reason decide not to take. You know, I've got a uh, funny story with uh, Maisel. So Jay and I went out shooting, and he's all frustrated because there's this trash can that he's standing next to, and he's looking at it, and I walk by it, and he smiles and looks at me, and I just think, okay, you're standing next to a trash can, and I walk by it again, and he's a little upset with me, and then I walk by it again, and he's even more upset with me. We go back to the bank, and um, we're looking at pictures. And then there's this beautiful picture of whites and darks and shadows and colors and blur. And I go, that's great. And he goes, yeah, that's a trash can you walk by four times. I thought I expected better from you. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so we go into the elevator. We go upstairs to the top floor in his bank, uh, which is where the residence was. And we're in this kitchen. Now, the bank is from, like, you know, 1902. Yeah, beautiful place. And the place. was remodeled in 1903. So... <laughs> Imagine, if you will, this old, old kitchen with these big, tall windows, and and he's got a parakeet that lives in the kitchen flying around. It decided to move in one day, flew in, and just never left. So we're looking out the window, and we're looking at the basin going to the Empire State Building, and the sun is setting, and you've got that beautiful heliotrope of color, and... Our cameras are downstairs and we're just, you know, sitting upstairs, having a cup of coffee, shooting shit. And all of a sudden, this plastic bag floats up and stops right in this window that we're looking at with the sweep of the city to the Empire State Building with these beautiful clouds that are these purples and magentas. And it turns and it's perfectly balanced and it says, I heart New York. It says, oh, oh, you don't like it there? How about here? Oh, no, no. How about here? How about there? And we just sat there watching this, and Maisel looks at me and goes, do I have to carry the goddamn camera with me now to the shitter? (laughs) And it's like a cyber chrome. Those are the ones that, you know, if I had one regret, I wish I would have taken that picture because it only exists in my mind and in story.
1: Yeah. Do you pretty much take a camera everywhere you go?
0: I take it whenever – I'm not in Los Angeles. I take a camera everywhere I go. And the reason why I don't take a camera in Los Angeles unless I'm shooting in the studio is because I have so many files that I have to get through that when I'm here in the studio, I have to be in production unless I'm shooting a gig up on the shooting deck.
1: Yeah. So what's your backup process look like? You're shooting 32,000 photos in in a week.
0: Um I have a 98 terabyte server and I have another 98 terabytes worth of backup drives that everything gets backed up and then gets put into a safe deposit box and I am not looking forward to this year because this is the year of technological expenditures to the point where I'm going to be gasping for air at the end. I have to get a new computer because Apple just finally came out with a new desktop. Great. Um... New traveling computer, so the new Mac Mini. Great. Uh, new, another server. Ouch. Um, yeah. You know, and it just, you got a whole new set of lights. I uh, just bought a whole bunch of Hive lights, which are these incredible cine lights that I can control the color temperature and they're full spectrum. So if I want 4.37, a, or 437 p.m. February 11th, 2001 or 1948. If I have that color mix measure, I can type that in, and the light will produce it for me.
2: Yeah, so it's pretty amazing.
1: I learned a lot of words on this. You did. I like the heliotrope. I think of a lot, color. I think a lot I of. I think that was my my learned. favorite, my favorite description. Well, Vincent, thank you so much for taking the time and setting up camera, and, and building what looks like an awesome studio that I I would love to get high off fixer on and next to my well, studio well said. really well said I, my preposition game is a little messed up today it's Rob. a little off, a little off.
0: Well, you're, but, you're, uh, you're the prince of preposition yep the bob uh, perusal
1: yep and <laughs> I like
0: the pixel peeping.
1: <laughs> where can everyone go to find your work and uh, what's your instagram handle
0: uh com and vincent underscore versace is instagram yes please follow me on instagram I, I post frequently and on Flickr as well.
1: Awesome. Well, if you're listening to this, this is also a video podcast that you can find at proedu.com. So if you want to watch this and see Vincent on the big screen. He's right there. Mr. Versace. Versace. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to going to get pastrami in New York. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you like smoked fish?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I dabble. Get all all right. right. I'm in. All right. Let's do it.
0: Oh, yeah. I got that all down. I'm in New York four, four or five times a year. My father was from New York. I got New York down, baby. Right all on. All
2: right. Well, thank you again. We appreciate the
0: conversation.
1: Well, that's it. All right. Let's get out of here, Rob. Take care. i get back to work. All right. Let's See. do it.
0: Pro-EDU is now unlimited. Get access to every single tutorial. Sign up at proedu.com today. About you, I'll take comfort in that.
2: This podcast is officially over. See you next time. Yeah.
0: Never stop learning. Never, never ever, Rob.
2: never stop. Learning. Why would you? Why would you stop? Why would you stop?
0: All right, enough talk. I'm getting ravenous. I'm late for burger night. Peace out.